everyone. Welcome back to the Internet Apologetics. So glad you're joining us today. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Liz Jackson. We're going to be talking about um, one of our papers, Faithfully Taking Pascal's Wager and how it can apply to Christians and skeptics and all kinds of fun stuff. So, Liz, how are you today? Thank you for joining me. Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm enjoying the summer. Um, so I'm learning because I actually live in Tampa now. Summers in Florida are very rainy. So um, it's been a little bit <laughs> gloomier than I thought. But, but yeah. yeah, it's been really, it's been good. And, you know, I'm not teaching right now. So that's been kind of nice. Mm -hmm. How are you doing? Yeah. I'm doing pretty good. Um, the 76ers collapsed last night. They're up like 25 mm. points. That was really depressing. But, you know, life goes on and we're here, so can't complain. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. I've been kind of like sort of a bandwagon bandwagon um, Raptors fan, although they apparently now suck this year, so so much yeah. bandwagon. But the school that I work at is in Toronto, and so what was it, like two years ago or whatever when they like won the finals, and I was like, I'm totally bandwagoning, but now they suck. So I'll still be a Raptors fan. Maybe that proves I'm not a bandwagon anymore. So Well, I mean, now that you're going yeah. to Toronto soonish, I guess that might help you in that kind of pursuit. Um, exactly. So today we'll be talking about um, Pascal's wager and like how, how can we respond and how should we respond? Um, so to start off, can you just kind of like introduce yourself and talk about like who you are, what you do, and got what you what got you interested in like things like this? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am an assistant professor of philosophy at Ryerson University, which, um, like we just alluded to, is is a school in Toronto. Um, so I did my PhD in philosophy at um, the University of Notre Dame. I graduated in 2019, and then I did like a postdoc for a year in Australia. And yeah, now I've been working at Ryerson. It's it's crazy, actually, almost a year. So I started July 1st, 2020. So almost to my hmm. one year work anniversary. So that's kind of fun. Um, so yeah, my research in philosophy is mainly in two areas, epistemology and philosophy of religion. So I'm interested in questions about like the rationality of belief and um, basically the question, what should we believe? And then how that relates to this other state called credence, which I'm going to talk about a little bit today. Um, mm -hmm. Credence is kind of like modeling your beliefs like a probability, sort of like a confidence level. So that was what my dissertation was about. And then interested in a bunch of other stuff in epistemology as well. Some of it will come up today. And then in philosophy of religion. Oh, did you want to? No, 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 you're good. You're no, good. No. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, in philosophy of religion, I mostly work on the rationality of religious commitment. Um, and so basically... There's two main topics within that I work on. So one is um, the nature of faith. Like what is faith? How could faith be rational? Does faith like go beyond the evidence in some sense? Like what would that mean? And then the other topic is Pascal's wager. So Pascal's wager, we're, well, I'm going to define it in a second. So maybe I'll yeah. let us all be on the cliffhanger. But what's cool about the topic today, and maybe I'll just say this really briefly, is kind of brings together my two main interests within philosophy of religion, um, Pascal's wager and faith. So we'll explain that more as we go. Yeah, it's super fun. Um, so I'm looking forward to this. And just start off, like, just as you let off there, like, what is Pascal's wager in case someone is listening and doesn't know what's going on here? Yeah, so Pascal's wager. Um, so, you know, someone that is maybe listening and maybe familiar with some, like, basic philosophy of religion, there's a lot of these arguments for the existence of God. And so these arguments, like, you know, there's like God is the first cause. It's like a first cause argument or God's like the fine tuner of the universe or whatever. They try to argue for the conclusion that God exists. So Pascal's wager, it's also a theistic argument, but it's not the conclusion isn't God exists. The conclusion is that we should believe in God. So it's about what you should do, not a claim that's like giving evidence for God's existence. It's saying like, it's your best bet to believe in God, basically. 
So I'll give a really simple version of it, but um, most philosophers think the ultimate version that's successful is going to be like more complex than this, but just to kind of get us on the same page. So mm -hmm. the idea is that, look, either God exists or God doesn't exist. There's sort of two choices, uh, sorry, two ways the world could be. And then you have two choices. You could believe in God or not believe in God. If you believe in God and God exists, things look pretty good for you. Um, you have a relationship with the all good, all loving creator of the universe. You go to heaven, um, lots of stuff to gain. Um, if you believe in God and God does not exist, then what you gain or lose either way would be finite because the idea is that there's no afterlife, there's no God. Um, maybe you have a false belief, but that's like a finite loss. That's a thought. Um, if you don't believe in God and God exists, things could look really bad if you go to hell or if you're annihilated. And if you don't believe in God and God does not exist, Again, we can debate about whether the gains or losses, like what that would look like exactly, but the gains or losses are again going to be finite. And so it looks like kind of given these two options and these two ways the world could be, your best bet is to believe in God rather than to mm. not believe in God. Um, I, yeah, I should say one thing that this argument does require that's going to come up later. So I'll just say this here. Um, in order for the conclusion to go through, the person taking the wager has to at least think that it's possible that God exists. So it's kind of like the ontological argument in that. Um, or in other words, you can't assign God's existence probability zero. So it needs to at least be a live possibility for you, although that's a pretty low bar. Like you could still think God's existence is is pretty unlikely. So that's yeah. the basic version of Pascal's wager. And then I guess I'll just say... Um, we aren't going to talk about this today, but a lot of people like to bring up this um, this many gods objection. So maybe I'll just say something briefly. I think even mm -hmm. in like, maybe it was Twitter or something. I think someone even was like, what about for <laughs> God? Or I don't know. I don't know what. Someone, yeah, don't you know that this is a debunked <laughs> argument, Liz? Yeah. yeah, people love to bring up the many gods objection. So I'll just say like one thing that's I think a problem in like this whole just discussion is that and this, and I might be perpetuating this problem a little bit, but mm -hmm. when you're explaining the really basic version of the wager so people understand, you're going to kind of do it in the way I just did it. But then the mini gods objection is like the obvious worry for that. So that's why mm -hmm. it's important to say like a lot of people actually don't think the argument can be this simple. So when Pascal himself gave the argument, he gave it in a context where basically he thought Christianity and atheism were the only two live options and each had about a 50% chance of being true. So he basically thought, like he had argued his way to that point and then gave the wager in a context where each was rough, like each was roughly 50, 50. Mm -hmm. So he basically via argument, like ruled out other religions besides Christianity. Um, in my version, I don't do that. But what I basically do is I just incorporate the various religions into the decision. So I say, yeah, mm. there are multiple religions. This is something we should think about. And let's just put that as part of the decision. So it's not just believe in God, not believe in God, but you're looking at the various religions and then their probability is, is, is a huge part of what determines which one you should choose. You should, um, you know, all else equal, pick the religion that you assign a higher probability rather than the lower probability. So in kind of simple terms, I basically argue that you should wager on the religion that you think is most likely to be true. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, that's great. Um, and one of the more common objections, I think, along with this is just the idea of like, some people may worry that like the wager is going to give people like the wrong motives for beliefs. Like I was like with one of my friends the first time, like about mm -hmm. the wager, and he's like, well, that's just stupid. Cause then people would just like want to believe in God just to try to like gain like this kind of like reward instead of actually like wanting to enter like into a relationship with him or such. Um, so how would you respond to like that kind of objection where there's this worry of people um, entering like with the wrong motives into a belief in God? 
Yeah, this is a super common objection. It's actually one that I, th I actually get a lot from religious people who don't like the argument. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll like, they're already, you know, believe in God, they're already a Christian or whatever, but they're like, Pascal's wager is stupid because it just means, like, if you take the wager, you just have bad motives. I mean, non-religious mm -hmm. people say this too, for sure, but I hear this a lot from religious people. Um, so actually, maybe I'll distinguish between, I think later in the discussion, this is going to be important. So there's two different ways you can take Pascal's wager. And I think this is going to be um, important for answering this and for later questions. So the mm -hmm. first is that it's a belief thing. So Pascal's wager makes you either believe in God or try to believe in God, you know, do things you can to influence your belief or make it more likely you'll believe in God. But ultimately, taking Pascal's wager is about believing in God or believing in the religion you think is most likely to be true. So we can call that like the belief-based wager. But mm -hmm. also, you could take the wager in a different way. And a lot of philosophers, so like Mike Rhoda, for example, who's one of uh, a contemporary philosopher who defends Pascal's wager, makes the wager about how you should act rather than what you should believe. So mm. you can call this like an action-based wager. And this wager would say, it's not about just like forcing yourself to believe in God or something, but instead it's about acting in certain ways. It's about making a commitment to God. So committing to going to church, participating in a religious community, praying, stuff like that. So, um, so I think these are gonna play an important role because well, first of all, I mean, one question is like, what are you being motivated to do? Are you being motivated to, be, mm. to believe or being motivated to act? So I think mm. that's important to think about. Um, but so so let me let me go to the motives thing and then we'll circle back to this distinction. So here's the kind of wagering that I want to focus on. Um, I want to focus on the person who says, look, um, it would be such a good thing if I committed to God and God existed. And here's why. Like, think about this possibility that God exists. Suppose there is this all-powerful, all-good being that wants this relationship with me. And then, you know, maybe you even have a story on which, like, this being, you know, incarnated and, and died for your sins or something. Like, this, this great expression of love from, from this being. Um, you know, I'm not convinced that this being does exist. Maybe it's possible, but maybe I still think it's kind of unlikely and I'm worried about the problem of evil or whatever. But nonetheless, wouldn't I just be missing out on so much if I didn't seek after God? Um, and, and that's the kind of mindset that I want to focus on. So again, they're saying, look, how good would it be if I committed to God and God did exist? And and I think that's kind of the crux of my response to this objection. So whether we make it about them committing to believe or committing to act in a certain way, it's not just like this, like, I'm buying hell insurance kind of thing. It's not this, like, I'm acting out of fear kind of thing. Um, and I don't even think it has to be this thing where it's just like this selfish, like, screw everyone else. I just want to go to heaven and I don't care about anything. It's like, no, like, think about how good... God would be if God existed and how good it would be if I had this relationship with God. So that's really the person who's wagering. That's what their focus is. So I think that is part of my response. And then the second part of my response, um, I want to argue that taking Pascal's wager can actually demonstrate genuine faith. And so what I'm going to do, um, I'm going to in a little bit define faith, explain what it means to have faith, and then show how when you take the wager in the way that I'm describing, you're actually demonstrating genuine faith. Mm. 
That's good. Yeah, that's great. That's super helpful because, like, at least when I like when I first thought about the wager, it was like almost like it seemed like it was like you know like hell insurance, like you're getting out of hell. Mm -hmm. But in truth, it's like it's kind of looking at this idea of like like having like a relationship with God. Um, if it if it's if he's real, is like the most meaningful thing you could have, the most valuable thing, um, more than anything else. I think that's a great way of looking at it. Um, so is there anything else you'd like to add with regards like how you think that like we should respond, um, to Pascal's wager? Yeah, absolutely. So. I think kind of on that last note too, I think what Pascal's wager sort of fundamentally shows <laughs> is that a religious commitment, it doesn't require certainty that God exists and it doesn't require mm. having answers to every objection to Christianity or to theism. And I think this is significant for two reasons. So I think first thinking about the skeptic, the person that doesn't have a commitment to God and is really skeptical of religion, that skeptic, they can actually be rational in committing to God and in taking the wager, even if they're not like fully convinced by the arguments for God's existence, even if they're not convinced at all by those arguments, because mm -hmm. they think like, how good would it be if I committed to God and God did exist? So mm -hmm. thinking about the goodness of that outcome can motivate someone to commit to God, even apart from these, you know, whether they find these arguments convincing. So I think that's pretty significant. But I think that's probably the more focused on application of the wager. And I think there's a second application, which is kind of what you were getting at as well. I think this can speak to the religious believer, the person who has a commitment to God. And sometimes we have this commitment and it's a really important part of our lives, but then we start to undergo some doubt. You know, we're like, maybe we're really struggling with like, the problem of evil, like how could God allow all this evil or why does God seem hidden to me or to, to my friends or to people in the world, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think what it shows is that that person can also still be rational in their commitment to God, focusing on that same thing. Like how good would it be if I continued in this commitment to God and God did exist? And I think this is cool both because it shows that Christian commitment is consistent with doubt, but it also shows that we can take these arguments that you know, arguments for atheism really seriously. I don't think the problem of evil and the problem of divine hiddenness are things we should just dismiss or like ignore. Mm -hmm. I think we can take them really seriously. And what's cool about Pascal's wager is that we can take them seriously, but at the same time, fully and 100% be committed, even if we don't have 100% confidence all the time. Um, mm -hmm. So I think there's sort of two different, like the, the skeptic response and then the person that's committed to God response. And I think Pascal's wager is applicable in both cases. Yeah, I think that's super helpful. Um, wait, did you have anything you want to add? Did I cut you off? Nope, nope, that's nope. perfect. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's super helpful. And I love I love thinking about the wager that way because it does like, like I've been thinking a lot about like the problem of evil recently. Like the wager does really help like in terms of like thinking about these things. Um, so I, I appreciate where you're coming from. And the next question here is like, what does it mean then to like have faith in God? Like when we're looking in like in terms of the wager, like what does it mean to have faith? And like, how does it apply with regards to Pascal's wager? Yeah, so you might, you know, just why we're talking about this is because we're trying to say, look, taking Pascal's wager doesn't automatically mean um, you want to, you have bad motives. And then part of the way I want to show that is by showing that you can take Pascal's wager and have faith. So that's, that's, you know, that's how these two things are coming together. So, um, so let's focus on faith for a second and then we'll bring it all back together. Okay. Mm -hmm. So basically, um, and this I think captures what a lot of philosophers think about faith, like obviously there's a ton of different definitions of faith. And so what I'm trying to kind of do is summarize the core of a lot of these definitions into four main components. 
So uh, Zach and I are both basketball fans. I think both of our interviews, we've like talked about basketball. So I'm just yeah. going to use the basketball example. Um, but then, then I'll also talk about faith in God too. So mm-hmm. let's say, and this is sad because they're not in the finals anymore, but let's say before or whatever, I have faith that the Raptors are going to win the NBA finals. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what does that mean? And I think just making a concrete example can kind of help. So that, that means there's like, there's four components to that. The first is a belief-like component. Um, Whether this is belief or something like belief, we'll talk about that in a second, but it's a belief-like component. In other words, there's, I have some level of confidence that they're going to win. If I think it's like impossible that they're going to win. So like, I guess right now it's like they're out. Um, I can't have faith that they're going to win or at least (laughs) that's how I feel about Philadelphia right now. So Yeah. (laughs) yeah. So you get me, you get me. Um, so yeah, faith requires like some level of confidence or some like a belief-like component in the object of faith. So that's the first component. The second component, it's a desire-like component. So if I have faith that the Raptors will win the NBA finals, I want them to win. I'm cheering for them. I'm on their side. I'm like, yeah, Raptors. Okay. Third component is resilience. So faith persists um, in light of counter-evidence. And some another way to think about this is Faith goes beyond the evidence in the sense that it persists, even if you get some evidence that the thing that you're having faith in is false. So let's say like I have faith the Raptors will win the finals and then they get crushed by some team. (laughs) Um, I can continue to have faith that they'll win um, as long as that counter evidence isn't totally decisive. So I'm in a place where unfortunately right now the counter evidence is decisive, but just because they, they lose a game, I can continue to have faith and that doesn't automatically make that irrational. So my faith is resilient. It persists in line of counter evidence. So that's the third component. And then the final component is that faith involves a commitment. So I have faith that the Raptors will win. I have some kind of commitment to the Raptors. I'm a fan. I cheer for the team. That's one of my life commitments is a commitment to the Raptors. And so I think faith in God also follows this same model. Um, If you have faith that God exists, you have some level of confidence that God exists. You want God to exist. Your faith that God exists is going to be resilient. So it's going to persist even if you get some evidence that God doesn't exist, as long as that evidence isn't decisive. And you have a commitment to God. You, you know, your your relationship with God or your religious beliefs are an important part of your life. Um, so, so was that that answered the question right? Like that's yeah, kind of the yeah. definition of faith, the four part mm-hmm. definition. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's great. Um, one kind of question I have, like, kind of looking at this is like, it's like I'm a Sixers fan, and like, let's just like using your analogy. Um, they're playing tomorrow. It's an elimination game. They're down three two. They're gonna be da- they're down thirty points heading into the fourth quarter. Like, it seems like they're gonna lose. Like, there's no way they're gonna yeah. win. So then, would like, would that faith that the Sixers are gonna win is that would that be irrational then? Like, I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it will depend on you know the exact evidence that you have, but it sounds like in that case. Mm-hmm. The probability is just too low. If there's, did you say there's two minutes left and they're down 30 points yeah, or something? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Something like that. yeah, yeah. So, you know, if they're down 30 points and there's 20, you know, like, or I guess, you know, yeah. 10 minutes left, mm-hmm. like a good amount of time left, you know, that would be different. Or if they're down five points and there's two minutes left or something, you know. But yeah, mm-hmm. I think in that case, um, at a certain point, I think the probability of the relevant thing is just going to be so low that mm-hmm. you can't have faith anymore and we're going to talk about this at the end i think in that case you could be like i still hope that they win but i think the Mm -hmm. chance that they win is really really unlikely so you could move from faith to hope there 
But yeah, mm-hmm. at that point, I think it's probably too unlikely to have faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, the next question here is regarding like, does faith entail belief? Cause I feel like a lot of times, like, um, like talking to like skeptics or like some of my friends who are like atheists or not, it'll kind of be like, well, to have faith, I first have to believe. And, you know, I can't just like mm-hmm. force myself to be believed in God. Um, so my question then for you, Liz, is like, does faith like entail like having a belief in, um, what you have faith in? Yeah, good. So like I said, faith has a belief-like component. And I worded that carefully um, because this is actually very controversial among philosophers working on faith. It's actually one of the big debates that's kind of been happening, um, whether faith requires belief or not. Um, So some people say, yes, faith does require belief. It's not genuine faith if it doesn't involve a belief. It's more kind of like pretending or something like Mm -hmm. Uh, You're just going through the motions. You don't really believe it. So that's like the reason people say yes, but other people say no. Like sometimes we go through really serious doubts and those doubts are so serious that we feel like we can't keep believing anymore, but we can nonetheless continue in that commitment and nonetheless still demonstrate faith, even if we like slip below that belief threshold sometimes. So You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily in the paper. I don't take a stand here. And I actually, uh, I kind of go back and forth on this a little bit myself, (laughs) whether I think that faith entails belief, but I, but I think it's, it's an important question. And this is why, so kind of near the beginning, I distinguish between taking Pascal's wager as a thing you believe, and then taking Pascal's Mm -hmm. wager as a thing you do. So if you think that faith requires belief, then you can affirm my thesis and just say, taking Pascal's wager should be a thing you believe. That's how taking Pascal's wager can demonstrate faith. Like they both involve a belief. But if you think faith doesn't require belief, then you can go in for either one. You could say, well, yeah, you could believe on the basis of Pascal's wager, or you could just make it an action type thing. So faith is this act like commitment. You're taking this leap of faith, even Mm -hmm. if you don't have that belief. So whether you go in for the belief wager, the action wager, this kind of, you know, this will hang on that. Um, But I think my view is ultimately consistent with either one. Mm. So do you think like from like a Christian perspective, like it can make a difference? Like, um, like we talk about like, like salvific faith or like having a faith in Christ. Like, Mm -hmm. do you think like that entails belief or like, are you just not sure? Like, I'm just curious if you have thoughts there. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, actually, so some of your listeners might be familiar with William Lane Craig. So he actually is um, writing about this right now. And so he is very convinced that from scripture, faith requires belief. And what we can do if like, so I do think, I mean, I can't just give all his arguments right now, but he yeah. he's very convinced of this. <laughs> um mm-hmm. At the same time, it's like, I do think the Bible leaves room for a serious christian to doubt so the the mm-hmm. man jesus heals um the man's child and he says i believe but help my unbelief i think what he's doing there is he's expressing i believe but i'm doubting and i'm mm. struggling and maybe sometimes yeah. I, I i i'm wondering if i really do believe and i think jesus blesses many people in the gospels that act that take a risk and come to jesus and say can you heal this person or can you help me with this? Or that woman who just touches his cloak, you know, she, she's just, she's, she's just act, she's doing an action mm-hmm. and, and Jesus commends her for her faith. So, you know, I do think it's interesting at the very least, I think the Bible is clear that you can have faith and doubt. Um, but I, you know, there's a huge debate about the word pistis, 
Uh, like what is, what's the best interpretation of that? And, you know, there's a couple of philosophers that are totally convinced pistis means like trust and that doesn't require belief. It just requires acting in certain ways. And then Craig is like, no, 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 no. It definitely <laughs> requires belief. Um, and so, you know, I, I do think, yeah, I mean, I think in some sense, it's good to want to believe. It's good to try to believe. And I will take a stand on this. <laughs> 100% confidence is not required. And I think you can believe, you believe tons of things you're not 100% confident in. And some people think you're not 100% confident in anything. Like there's a desk right here. I mean, this might sound silly, but I could be a brain in a vat and mm -hmm. this all could be a dream or I could be in the matrix or something. So maybe there's a 99.99999% chance there's a desk right here, yeah. but there's still yeah. this really far-fetched possibility I'm wrong, right? So I definitely think everyone agrees Faith doesn't require 100% certainty. And in that sense, there's room for doubt. And then I think just mm -hmm. the question is, could you be in a place where you say, I don't know if I believe right now. I'm kind of like, I'm really just worried about the problem of evil, but I'm going to continue in my commitment to God. Like, what does that look like? And maybe like, that'll be a situation where you, 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 you know, you stop believing for a little bit, but you come back to believing eventually, you know, and mm -hmm. I do think continuing in the commitment is you know, a way that makes it likely that you'll continue to believe. Um, but yeah, I haven't just personally gone and like done the Greek studies and looked at all that to know if I'm totally convinced that Craig is right and belief is required or, you know, more convinced these other people are right and pistis should be interpreted something like trust, which is more like an action than a belief. So. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting to think about. Um, and we'll have to leave that for another day, probably. Um, like when you're looking at like what kind of faith um, should be produced by the person that's like say like okay you look at the wager and you're like okay i see some plausibility in this maybe i should like wager in god or something like that like what kind of faith are you thinking of in, in terms of this yeah good so remember we talked about these four components right belief like desire like resilience and commitment mm -hmm. and so the main kind of heart of the paper what i want to say is we've talked about how these describe faith here's what's really cool they also describe this person who's taking pascal's wager yeah. So let me say a little bit about each one. Um, so the belief-like component, um, I mean, this will depend on exactly which wager you go in for. So if you go in for the belief wager, then the wager is going to believe because you're saying they're either believing or trying mm -hmm. to believe or whatever. Um, if you go in for the action wager, I do think things can get a little more complicated and that's where hope comes in, which we're going to talk about in a second. Um, but even if you go in for the action wager, we've at least said the wagerer is kind of like a seeker. They're at least open to the possibility that God exists. They don't mm -hmm. think it like has probability zero. So in that sense, they do have some confidence that God exists. Maybe they're not like super, super confident, but they at least have some kind of belief like component. And then again, if it's a belief wager, they have a belief, you know, um, yeah. so they fulfill the belief component and then the desire component. Well, remember what are they focusing on? They're focusing on how good it would be if they committed to God and God in fact existed. So they commit mm. to God and then they're like, oh, this would be a really good thing if God existed because I'm seeking after God and, you know, this all powerful, all loving being, you know, who, who cares about me and wants a relationship with me. Like, even if you're not convinced that God does exist, you can still think God's existence would be a good thing. And we've kind of stipulated that's what's motivating this person to take the wager. So mm. belief-like component, desire-like component, resilient to counter-evidence. The wager is going to definitely be resilient to counter-evidence because they're motivated 
by these non-evidential reasons, which is how good it would be if God existed and they committed to God. So the evidence, it's not like it doesn't play any role. I do think it plays a role, but their their big motivation is like how good it would be if God existed. Yeah. So they're, they're absolutely going to be resilient to counter evidence. And then I think it's pretty uncontroversial taking Pascal's wagers, making some kind of commitment to God. Belief is a kind of commitment, or it might be a commitment to act, or I guess it could be both. So, you know, this is kind of the heart of the paper. And what I'm trying to say is, look, this person who takes Pascal's wager, they're actually demonstrating faith. And I think that's true, whether it's a belief-like wager or an action-like wager. Hmm. That's super interesting. Um, I do want to say we have a few more questions and we do a little bit of live Q and A at the end um, is the plan. But the next question is going to be really interesting is like, can you have faith even if your belief would say like less than 0.5? Um, just like people who are maybe like atheists or like maybe like agnostic. Um, they just, they're not convinced or they see it very, like very implausible. They like God exists. Um, so like, can you still have faith in this sense? Um, even if you believe like in less than like a 0.5 sense that God, God exists? Yeah, good. Okay, so here's where I wanted to get into my dissertation topic a little bit. So I might, yeah. I'll try to keep it quick. Okay, so my dissertation was about the relationship between believing a proposition um, and then this other state that's called credence. So it's kind of like mm -hmm. your confidence in a proposition, but it's it's treated like a probability. So you could be 100% confident, you could be 0% confident. It's actually normally done on a scale from zero to one. So one would be like, I'm close to credence one that like one plus one equals two or something, you know, yeah. zero would be like one plus one equals three. If you're about to flip a coin, I'll have like a 0.5 credence that it will land heads. It's kind of like how confident I am, but you can give it in a lot of cases, you can give it a number or say, you know, like I'm roughly 0.9 confident. It will rain tomorrow. Like the forecast breaks 90% chance, let's say, right. So we have all these different levels of confidence. That's yeah. confidence or credence. But then a lot of epistemologists think, well, on the other hand, it kind of seems like there's this thing that's just like straight believing. <laughs> so I believe one plus one equals two and I believe it will rain tomorrow. That's the same attitude in some sense, even though I have different levels of confidence there. So when it comes to belief, a lot of people think there's just really three attitudes. There's believing something's true, withholding belief. So I'm withholding belief on like whether that coin will land heads or whether I have an even number of hairs in my head. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's disbelieving. So like I disbelieve one plus one equals three or whatever. Um, and so it's interesting, like on this hand, we have like these three states, belief, withholding, disbelief. And then on this hand, we have like all these different levels of confidence. Uh, yeah. That's much more like specific attitudes that you can take. And so what I think is interesting is like, let's say I believe that God exists. Maybe I'm like pretty confident, like I'm 95% mm -hmm. sure. And when it's like, oh man, like the problem evil, that's really hard. And I go to like 70% yeah. sure. And then it's like the problem of hiddenness and, you know, my, my confidence goes down. So one like huge question was super big debate among epistemologists is like, at what point is my confidence so low that I have to give up the belief? Mm -hmm. And one thing that I think is really interesting, especially if you're like really into this idea that faith entails belief or Christian faith requires belief. That doesn't mean that Christian belief requires like 100% confidence. Like we've said, I think almost no one thinks that. And so yeah. then the question is, could your confidence, like maybe you're really at the point where you're like, it's like 40% likely that God exists or something. Yeah. Um, could you still rationally believe that God exists? Um, I'm actually pretty open to that possibility because I don't think that belief and confidence like perfectly match on each other. I think there's interesting cases where you can continue 
continue in your commitment, continue in your belief, even though you get counter evidence that makes it feel like something's mm -hmm. like kind of unlikely. Again, you know, we, we talked about this case where <laughs> it's the fourth quarter, there's two minutes left and you're down by 30. Then your confidence level is going to be like, point one point mm -hmm. you know like pretty yeah. pretty low at that point yeah you should probably give up your belief but it's interesting to think about the possibility and again this isn't defending this isn't part of the paper but it's relevant to the paper the possibility that you could believe something and even have a credence that's like point four or point three five you know i think at a certain point yeah you need to give up the belief it's not fideism which says the more the less evidence you have the better the faith mm -hmm. that's not what we're saying but i do think faith can persist in light of this counter evidence. So I think that's one way to really push that faith entails belief, but still kind of get something like the model I'm talking about. Cause like your confidence goes down, but you continue to believe. Mm. Yeah. I, I think it'd be interesting. Like, um, like one kind of counter I was thinking is like, well, couldn't you like use this to justify maybe like irrational beliefs? Like I'm sure there's people um, who like believe that like maybe like the earth is flat um, and like, there's not a lot of like credible evidence for that. Like maybe, but like maybe you're firmly convinced and it's like um, you like, there's a difference between belief and credence. So, like, do you think it could be used to like, kind of like justify like irrational things yeah. like believing, like maybe like actually the earth is actually round. Like that'd be kind of crazy. Yeah, no, that's funny. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, okay. A couple things to say. First of all, um, this might sound totally nuts, but I think mm -hmm. some people are justified in believing the earth is flat because yeah. justification is relative to your evidence. Justification mm -hmm. is different than truth. So yes, of course it's true that the earth is round, but we can have evidence that misleads us and then be justified in believing false things. So consider like an uneducated peasant living in like around a, like the, the 1300s or something like mm -hmm. they just, yeah. they probably believe the earth is flat. They just looked flat when they looked at the horizon and they, that's what their evidence supported. And they, they didn't know better and they couldn't really be expected to know better, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so that's a case where, yeah, I do think it could be rational for someone to believe the earth is flat. Um, I think the problem <laughs> with that today is that, there are certain things that I think it's just at the point where we all have access to this evidence that we should be held responsible for. And mm -hmm. so because of that, I think there's a sense in which at least most people today, maybe some young child that couldn't have known better whose parents just for whatever reason taught them the earth is flat, maybe that would be an exception. But most mm -hmm. of us that are educated adults have access to this evidence that we shouldn't be ignoring. That should take our confidence like, below whatever that threshold is you know yeah. we should be like super 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 unconfident and not believe that the earth is flat so i mm -hmm. think at the very least we can say that there's some sense in which if you believe the earth is flat even if you have low confidence um you're still being irrational because your confidence just should be that low and if your confidence isn't that low you're ignoring some important evidence but hmm. but it, it is a nice question um and like another question too is like, should the threshold be the same for all beliefs? Like yeah. some people think that if a belief is like really central or like a really important part of your life, maybe the threshold is lower and like maybe the threshold is higher for other beliefs. Um, that like, you know, I don't necessarily have like a firm view on that either. And actually some people think that it's not actually a threshold at all. It's just different kinds of evidence require your credence to move and you to give up your belief. So there's a lot of different like interesting questions around here. Yeah. We could probably do like a whole 
you know, a whole show just on this. Yeah. So. No, there's so many interesting yeah. things. That's why I love like topics and like this. Is there's just there's so much there and there's so much to explore. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of fun. Um, so the, I have a couple more questions for you. Um, and the next one is like, can the wager give us reason to hope in God? Um, and, and just mm-hmm. maybe talk about like what that means, like hope in God, and how that might be different than like faith or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. So this is kind of in response to a worry, which is like, look, what about the person who does take Pascal's wager? but Mm -hmm. thinks that the chance that God exists is like incredibly low to the point where they definitely can't believe and probably shouldn't have faith. Like, again, you're, you've, you've given this nice example where (laughs) there's, uh, I keep going back to it, but there's two minutes left and you're down by 30. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, I want to say, I don't think that this person should be excluded from taking Pascal's wager, especially if they're really like, look, it's, unlikely but it's possible that god exists and this would be such a good thing if i committed Mm -hmm. to god right yeah and so so i wanted to say something about that case because that person really is like maybe they're just really gripped by the problem of evil or maybe they're you know struggling with hiddenness or you know there's a lot of different Mm -hmm. reasons you know you might be in that kind of situation and so what i want to say about this person is even if they can't have faith even if they can't believe they can still hope that god exists Mm. and what's cool about hope is that if we have faith that something is true and then we get a bunch of counter evidence, but we still like have this desire for it to be true, Mm -hmm. we can kind of move rationally from faith to hope. Um, And so I think there's kind of a cool relationship between faith and hope. Like they both require the desire, but hope has a much smaller uh, requirement for how much evidence you need. So hope Mm -hmm. really just requires two things. Um, It requires acknowledging that something's possible and then desiring for that thing. So mm. like, let's say um, I have a picnic plan tomorrow, but there's like a 90% chance of rain. <laughs> I can mm. still hope that it doesn't rain tomorrow. And that's perfectly rational. Um, I can acknowledge like this is unlikely, but I really hope it's sunny tomorrow. And I really hope I can have my picnic because I really want to have my picnic. And there's at least some chance that it is sunny. Like the forecast isn't totally reliable. It's not like mm. it's 100% chance of rain, you know. And so what I think is significant about this is that certain people who take Pascal's wager, even if they can't believe or can't have faith, they can still hope in God. And I think this is cool because that can still set you on this path to know God and have a relationship with God. And, you know, there's debates about whether, you know, would you be saved just by making the commitment? Maybe you do need to get to the point where you get that belief, but it can at least set you on the path to getting that belief. Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty significant. But ultimately what it shows is that you can be rational to commit to God, even if you think God's existence is pretty unlikely. And I think that's pretty significant. Mm, that's super interesting. Um, we have one more question for you here, Liz. Um, and this is like a common objection is like, isn't the wager just impossible because you're trying to like force someone to believe in God? Like you can't force a belief. Um, like, yeah. you know, you're only, you're convinced or you're not. So like, what's your thought on this kind of like objection? Yeah, no. And I think in some ways, the whole picture that we've kind of been painting today uh, means that you don't need to force a belief, like taking the mm-hmm. wager. So basically what I've argued is that taking Pascal's wager either demonstrates faith that God exists or demonstrates hope. Um, And so I think in this case, like you either like already have faith or you're at least like well on your way to that. Um, Mm -hmm. And either then I think belief is just going to come naturally or, you know, maybe you don't even need belief in the first place, right? Maybe we make this in terms of something about action or, um, you know, Mm -hmm. the action-based, the commitment-based wager, right? So I think 
that's kind of a, a, another cool upshot of, of my picture is that not only, I mean, my main point was to answer this worry, like taking Pascal's wager automatically means you have bad motives, but I think it also shows like if you already have faith or you already have hope, um, this worry that taking Pascal's wager is impossible kind of dissolves as well because you're kind of already on that path. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's super great. Um, so what we'll do now is just for a few minutes, we'll do a little bit of Q&A. So if you have questions or anything like that, feel free to um, put those in. We'll get through some of them. Um, Jonah has a really good question. which is like, um, do you think the wager can serve as like a useful apologetic for discussion with atheists or is it more just like an interesting philosophical consideration? And also added like with like evangelizing because like, you know, you you and I are both Christians. Like, do you think it could be useful in like evan evangelization and like things like that? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, especially in like maybe certain apologetics contexts, um, mm -hmm. A lot of weight gets put on the arguments and evidence for God's existence, which is great. I'm not saying that's bad or anything, right? But mm -hmm. I think that, you know, when we're discussing things like this with atheists or when we're doing evangelism, our only goal shouldn't just be to make them more confident that God exists. We should mm -hmm. also want them to see that God's existence would be a good thing, that this would be, yeah. there, there's something beautiful about um, you know, our theological teachings or the gospel or even just this all the, the possibility of this all good, all powerful being. That's a huge part of what it means to have faith. So we want them to see both that there's good evidence for God, maybe come to believe that God exists. That would be great. But also to want God to exist, to have that desire stirred up within them to kind of have those religious affections as, mm. you know, I, I think that's just as important. And that's one reason I love Pascal's Wager because it's not just about the evidence. I think people see this as like a negative for Pascal's Wager, but I actually think it's a positive. It's like, no, our desires matter too. And like, look how good it would be if God existed. Mm -hmm. Like this is something that's worth pursuing and worth committing your life to. And let me say one more thing too. It's like all these other arguments, the conclusion, like we said at the very beginning, is God exists. It's this evidential thing. It's this fact about the world. But you could be like, okay, God exists, so what? Like, I don't care. <laughs> but like, what if the conclusion is you should commit your life to God? Mm. Okay, that, now we're yeah. getting somewhere. I mean, that's actually a lot stronger in a certain way because mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. not just saying God exists, but like you could just ignore God or whatever. It's saying, no, you need to make this commitment right now. And like, I have a theory. <laughs> uh, I think a lot of people online that are skeptics really dislike Pascal's wager, mm -hmm. maybe partially because yeah. of this, because... In some sense, yeah, it is a weaker conclusion, but in some sense, it's actually a way stronger conclusion because mm -hmm. it's saying like, you need to change your life, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I think this is one reason why it tends to rub people the wrong way because it's saying like, you're doing something irrational or like, mm -hmm. you need to be like focusing more on this. So so yeah, I, I, I think it's totally useful for discussions with skeptics. And, and, and like I said too, even discussions with Christians who are undergoing doubt. No, I think that's super helpful because I was thinking about that, like, because like if you're an atheist and like um you like you you look at like a cosmological argument or something, you're like, oh well, God exists or God probably exists. Like, well, you don't do anything. You can just go like you can just keep on living. But like with Pascal's wager, it's like no, you can't do that if you're going to accept this argument uh, as like a valid thing. So you're very exactly. right. Exactly. Um, yeah, a question here from Bram, which is, um, do you think that we can be justified in the belief based not so much on the probability of that being true, but on the implications of it being true? Like, for example, like if I don't believe in God, I go to hell. Yeah, no, this is this is a good question. So, okay, so the idea is like, look, there's almost two ways we can think about the question, what should I believe, right? The first mm -hmm. way is like based on the evidence, arguments, and probabilities. But then the second way would be like, uh, 
is there these like practical reasons for belief? Would believing something like be good for me in various ways, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I'll say two things. Like, um, I do think there's something to be said for practical reasons for belief. Some philosophers don't like that way of talking, but if a belief is gonna be good for me, uh, I think there are situations where it's totally rational to believe something on that basis. Let me give one quick example. Um, mm -hmm. Let's say I'll just, it's kind of a silly philosopher example, but bear with me. Uh, the mafia kidnaps your family and they refuse to let them go unless you take a pill that gives you a false belief about the 47th digit of pi. You'll believe it's three, but it's really four. <laughs> okay. Um, you might say like, that's crazy. You shouldn't take that. That would give you a false belief. But it's like, look, the lives of your family are on the line. If you're really that worried about false beliefs, like, I don't know. I don't know mm -hmm. what's going on, but I would pop that pill in two seconds. So yeah. yeah, like evidence and arguments are important. And I think I'm not saying we should ignore those, but I also think other factors are important as well, including practical and moral factors. So that's one thing to say. Um, if you really don't like that, <laughs> then the other thing you can say is, okay, don't make the wager about belief, make it about action. You know, I'm totally open to that. I think making the wager about a commitment to God that demonstrates faith or demonstrates hope is totally legit. And I think that can put you on the path to eventually believing on a rational base, like on an epistemically rational basis based mm -hmm. on based on the evidence and the arguments. So I think you can kind of go either way. Some people hate that mafia thing and they're like, no, you should just like follow the evidence no matter what in any situation. And then I'm like, okay, look, make the wager about action. So, you know, either one kind of works with my argument, but yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, another question here from E.B. Jackson, which says, um, what about cogito or go assume? I don't speak Latin. Um, I think that's, I yeah. think, therefore I am. Yeah. That's my mom. Hi, mom. I, I assume, <laughs> I was wondering if the Jackson. Yeah. So she, so cogito or go assume is, I think, therefore I am, which is, which is what Descartes said. Uh, so in the meditations, this is kind of Descartes. Descartes basically trying to doubt everything that he can. Mm -hmm. I don't know if my mom intended this, but I'm going to fit this into the paper. Um, and so, uh, and so he's like doubting. Okay. So he's like, look, I can doubt that there's a table right here because what if I'm dreaming? What if I'm a brain in a bat? Maybe he doesn't say brain in a bat, but you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, at least I would still know that one plus one equals two. And he's like, wait, what if I'm being deceived by an evil demon about math and logic? Maybe mm -hmm. I can't know that one plus one equals two. And so he's trying to give up as much stuff as he can to get to like the very basic foundation. And then that's like where he famously says, cogito ergo sum, which is, I think, therefore I am. Um, Descartes and some people think this is like the one thing you can be 100% certain of. You're thinking, no demon, no science who's manipulating you if you're a brain in a bat can deceive you about whether you're thinking because you're, you're thinking, you just, you know, um, and because you're thinking, you can know that you exist. There has to be a being who's doing the thinking. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people find this convincing. I found this convincing for a while, but I think the response to this, and, and this is kind of like what Hume said in response to Descartes was like, look, maybe like there's a thought or there's a belief or there's a desire, but why does that prove that there's a self? Why does that prove that you exist? There could just be these random like mental states floating around, but like Buddhists mm -hmm. think that there's no self. And, you know, so Hume and some other people who are super, super skeptical actually think that even the cogito can be doubted, like if there is no self. Mm -hmm. So that's why some people think you can't be 100% certain of anything. 
Yeah. Philosophy <laughs> so much fun. You can end up yeah. doubting everything. Um, yep. Another um a question another question from Jonah, which is interesting because it, it like applies like wager to like specific beliefs. Um so like like should we mm -hmm. wager on universalism? Like there's this idea of like hopeful universalism where it's like hopefully everyone ends up being saved. Um so you think the wager could be applied to like specific things that like maybe like you hope to be true, like maybe someone's like a hopeful universalist? Yeah, I think hopeful universalism is very reasonable. I think planning on maybe coin that term and basically the idea is like, mm -hmm. you know, maybe I don't have enough evidence to believe universalism and maybe I don't even have enough evidence to have faith that universalism is true. It's kind of a hot debate. And when you look at scripture, it's interesting. Like, it seems like there's some arguments for and some arguments against. If you don't mm -hmm. think there's any arguments for universalism, go read Romans 5. It's really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, I'm not saying it's a decisive case, but the point is just that there is arguments on both sides. Um, so yeah, I think hopeful universalism is totally reasonable. It's like, I would love for everyone to be saved. I think that would be a good thing, but I just don't quite have enough evidence to believe that or have faith that that's true. So yeah, I'm totally open to that. Um, I think mm -hmm. that that's really reasonable. Speaking of Alplania, this is probably our last question for today, um, but it's like, what's your take on reformed epistemology? Nice. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, okay. Reformed epistemology in the most basic form is just this thesis. Belief in God can be rational without an argument. Um, an argument would be like premises that support the conclusion that God exists. And then, you know, it would be like your belief that God exists is based on some mm. explicit argument, maybe like the cosmological argument or the fine tuning argument or even Pascal's wager, maybe. Right. Um, and, and so the thought is like you don't have to be aware of these like intense philosophical arguments to be rational, to believe in God. And your little grandma who goes to church every week and says a prayer for you every night before she goes to bed, she can be rational to believe in God. I'm totally on board with that. I think that's great and that's true. And sometimes when you're immersed in philosophy, it's easy to get so caught up in it that you're like, yeah, everyone needs to know about philosophical arguments to be rational. And I just think that's way too high of a bar. I think mm -hmm. lots of people in the pews are rational to believe in God. Um, you can make reformed epistemology a stronger claim that relies on like certain epistemological theories. So for example, proper functionalism, which is a specific theory of how we come to know things. And then I start to get more skeptical of it. Um, I would not necessarily identify as a proper functionalist. So if you start building more things into reformed epistemology, then um, you know I start to get less on board with it. But this basic idea that belief in God can be rational without an argument, I'm totally on board with that. And so in that sense, I would identify with reformed epistemology. Yeah, that's so great. Um, and Liz, that's all about all the time we have. So thank you so much for like your, your time and answering these questions. Um, is there any kind of like last thoughts, you need, things you need to get to say before we wrap things up here? Oh yeah, I guess um, maybe I'll just say briefly, if you are interested in this discussion, the paper is called Faithfully Taking Pascal's Wager. So you can download it um, if you go to my website, which is liz-jackson.com. Uh, if you mm -hmm. click on the research tab, you can download it there. And I also do have like a YouTube channel and I actually have an academic presentation of this paper on there as well. So if you're, you know, wanting more of this, you could go check that out. But my YouTube channel has a bunch of other videos and some of them are more academic and some of them are way less academic. So you can mm -hmm. check that out too. 
Yeah, it's awesome. It'll be so much fun. And it's, it's a great channel. Lots of good, cool videos and like critical thinking and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I encourage everyone to check that out in the paper and all that stuff. Um, so Liz, it's been so much fun. I'm so glad you've joined me today. Um, I encourage everyone to check out your channel. And if you're new to Tiernan Projects, always encourage you um, subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff. And then you can support us on patreon.com slash Tiernan Projects if you wish. But Liz, thank you so much for your time. One last time. I've enjoyed it a lot. Thanks so much for having me. This was a great discussion. <laughs> It was. And thank you, um, Bram, Jono, Liz Liz's mom, everyone else who joined us. Um, <laughs> have a good one and God bless.